Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Julie Hanna on her investigation of the world's religions which led her to Christianity. If it was all made up, it would have been the most sophisticated and brilliant fraud that's ever been perpetrated. Julie Hanna, next. Former college math instructor Julie Hanna, over a number of years, undertook extensive research into the world's religions, including Christianity. To put it mildly, she was surprised by what she found. Her journey is found in her book, A Skeptic's Investigation into Jesus, and in her recent Christianity Today piece, Faith Came by Investigating. The audio quality of today's discussion is less than ideal. Julie spoke to us from a rural location in South Africa. So please listen closely. You'll be glad you did. Julie, first tell us about the role of Christianity or religion in your upbringing. Generally a non-religious family. My, my parents were nominally Anglican, so they, they did the usual traditional things like uh, christenings and Sunday school. But my mother said she didn't believe there was a, a God, and we really had no exposure to spiritual thinking in our home. Uh, I had a very superficial knowledge of Christianity from Sunday school. And so as a teenager, I rejected the whole faith as an exaggerated human invention. I I disregarded it completely because I just thought it must, uh, it was human wishful thinking is what I thought, that there would be a caring God and life after death. I thought that was just a made up story. Well, as a young adult, you write that you were driven to answer the question whether our lives have meaning, and why do you think that question was so important to you as a young adult? Uh, I'm not sure, though. I just It just seemed that if we weren't, if we're not to live as just animals, just um, eating, sleeping, procreating, dying, uh, that we needed to decide if there's an ultimate meaning to life, if there's no objective truth, if there's no objective morality, then we might as well create our own personal morality and sense of purpose. But I wanted to know if there were philosophical systems that made sense that would help give me that would give me some direction in life. So I started exploring various philosophies. And you're a researcher at heart. I mean, so this has kind of been in your nature since you were a very young person. Yeah, I, I like I like to analyze things. I like to make decisions based on facts. On facts. And so you studied the sacred writings of of which religions? Okay, well, once I've gone through some of the main philosophies like Stoicism, Nihilism, Existentialism, and so on, they didn't seem to answer the fundamental questions. Why is there a universe with sentient life, and how did it arise? So when I didn't find answers there, that's when I started thinking I'd better maybe visit some of the major faith systems. So I was, um, I started reading the sacred scripts of Hinduism. I read various Eastern gurus, uh, studied Buddhism, Kabbalah, uh, joined the Hare Krishna movement for a while, did some meditation, read theosophy, Sufism, 
and uh, yeah, did quite a range of exploration. Now, the Christianity Today uh, testimony that you wrote says that you were something on a quest to discredit Christianity. What, why d did you want to discredit Christianity? Okay. Um, the last religion I looked at before, I was teetering on deciding that there is no ultimate transcendental truth, that there are lots of little human-created ways of approaching life, but none of them seem satisfying. So I thought, well, perhaps there is no ultimate truth, and I must just make my own way in the world however I wish. But um, I was interested that uh, even the Quran, when I studied Islam, the Quran mentions Jesus a lot. Um, and I came across also in other readings references to the, the the Christ consciousness and the cosmic Christ and so on. And I thought, well, before I ditch everything, the one thing I haven't looked at is Christianity. And to be intellectually honest, I would have to work out for myself why I reject Christianity, which I'd already done as a, as a young person, but I realize now in a very prejudiced and superficial way. But I decided I needed to be able to answer the question to myself, if not those other religions, why not Christianity? So I thought, let me listen to the New Testament while I drive to work to give maths lectures, and let me discover for myself why I rejected. I was looking for the facts to support my prejudice. So you were obviously overtly uh, trying to discredit Christianity because even as a young person, you you didn't uh, really see it as credible. D did you try to discredit the other religions to the same extent? I don't think so. <laughs> I think because our existing society has become so critical of Christianity and the Jesus figure, I'd almost been brainwashed into being far more negative about that than about Buddhism, uh, even Islam. So I was approaching Christianity with a far more negative slant than any of my other investigations. I was far more prejudiced about it. Well, my guest today on His People is Julie Hanna. Uh, she was a mathematics lecturer for many years at a university in South Africa, and we're talking about her Christianity Today testimony, Faith Came By Investigating. She's also written a book, A Skeptic's Investigation into Jesus. Well, well Julia, as you began to investigate Christianity, tell us about your, your encounters with the Bible and what you discovered. I, I thought what I'd find was some far-fetched, this was the New Testament, I was listening to the Gospels on my way to lecture, and I had this preconceived notion that I would encounter a magical kind of perfect, simplistic hero figure, all meek and sort of spouting platitudes about loving everyone and working various miracles. And it, it just does not come across like that. I was absolutely astounded by how strongly realistic and complex and convincing and persuasive the Jesus figure in the Gospels is. There's no way it's just some random fabrication. 
he's a very complex personality. The debates that he enters into are incredibly clever. Uh, he has human emotions like compassion and anger and frustration. And it, it, my shock was how real it all sounded while I listened to it. And it eroded away my, my kind of veneer of prejudged arrogance, really. It just slowly wore it away. And I, I, love, I love the fact that if I can share something that Albert Einstein said, he, he didn't believe in the Christian notion of God, but he said, no one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. So that was my first shock. I knew just by listening to it, this was no fabrication. How, how long did this investigation take? I mean, it, you, you, this wasn't just something you did over a weekend. It took me about five years mm. to to actually lay down my my final bit of prejudice and say, "Oh my Lord, you are real, and that everything they say about you is true." Now, as you you were investigating, did you did you talk to Christians? Did did, did you read Christian literature, uh, or did you focus primarily on the Bible itself? I did a lot of reading around the, because I read the, once I decided I must now pursue it, I read the New Testament, I read the Old Testament, I studied co Christian commentaries on the Old Testament, I studied the history of um, how the, the history of the early Christian faith, uh, how the message would have been uh, communicated, how the, the early churches functioned, who was uh, strong Sort of role players in those early days. Um, I read the Gnostic Gospels as a contrast to see if to try and make a decision about the authenticity and the uh, how well preserved the original stories were. And then I read a lot of Christian commentators, uh, Karl Barth, um, people who were expounding on the message itself making more even more sense of the christian message so yeah i did a lot of reading around the scriptures as well a lot of reading of rabbinic uh, the, the, the the rabbinic kind of writings of the time as well oh uh, would that be called uh, the talmud would that be the talmud yes so yeah quite a bit of that and um a comment their commentaries on the torah our pentateuch in that regard, you, say, you, you write that you said that you began to appreciate the links and the consistencies between the Old and the New Testaments? One of the reasons I, I, I found myself thinking, this is not fabricated. The connections between, uh, firstly, it's a coherent story from Genesis in the, the beginning of the Old Testament through to Revelation in the New Testament. It's a continuous message. God is saying the same things throughout it. And not only is it a single message, the thematic links and the imagery and the, 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 the metaphors that are used, uh, that uh, words that Jesus used, which were directly the words that God used in the Old Testament, but not just paraphrasing, but actually speaking about himself in ways you don't even know 
in using God's language until you go to the Old Testament. Um, and then links in his life with the seven um, holy feasts, links in his life with uh, the messianic prophecies. These are not things that enthusiastic Jewish disciples could have thrown in at random and made it work. It's so coherent. It's so powerful. If it was all made up, it would have been the most sophisticated and brilliant fraud that's ever been perpetrated. And I reckon it's just impossible that random people could have thrown together stuff and come up with this entire scripture, which is such a coherent from beginning to end passage. Well, Julie, you you, were, you explained in your Christianity Today piece that you found the core Christian message of sin, atonement, and redemption to be increasingly coherent. Uh, I think the word you, is the word you use, and persuasive. Can you talk about that? What what convinced you about that that core Christian message of sin, atonement, and redemption? It was really two things. The first is analytic and rational. And the second is more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, it was the first time that I had gone through all of the teachings in a particular faith and felt, yes, this rings true about how the world came about and why we suffer and why there's such a mess. Because the message is very simple. It, it, it we don't like the message because we have a humanist uh, philosoph- philosophical slant that puts us at the center of things. And we don't like to be judged. We don't think we're sinful. I certainly did. When I heard that Jesus came for the sinners, I thought, well, then he, I've, he's got no place in my life. I'm not a sinner. Yeah. You know, that kind of, we're so comfortable with our failings that we don't think it's anyone has the right to judge us. But the message in the Bible is very consistent. We were created by divine creator with a free will to accept or reject his authority. When we rebel, the result was God cursed creation. Through his prophets, he, I just love how in the Old Testament he continually appeals to people, please don't rebel, please choose my grace, not my wrath. But we always go, nah. <laughs> I'd much rather not. And and there's no price that can be paid for this except a perfect atonement. Humankind is not perfect. We cannot make that atonement. Um, But a human has to make that atonement. Um, I actually wrote down C.S. Lewis's words, if I could read them. It's a short piece from C.S. Lewis, which I love, about atonement, which doesn't make sense to, to us until we think about it carefully. But he wrote this. Supposing God became a man. Suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person. Then that person could help us. This is obviously Jesus. He could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was man, and he could do it perfectly because he was God. I love this. It's the sense that only by having a perfect being suffer on our behalf 
as an atonement um, suffering, could the price be paid for what we've done and earn our forgiveness and put us back into God's grace? Uh, and Julia, uh, in your in your piece, you write that there was a particular moment uh, where, as you said uh, a, few, a couple of minutes ago, that uh, Jesus came for sinners. But of course, that wouldn't be you. That would be the that would be some other people. But you said there came a point where you actually realized it it, it applied to you, or really applied to everybody. Yeah, well, it was the greatest surprise to me because um, emotions are not good for me, uh, and I was still very much at a investigative, exploratory, rational, analytical uh, investigation into Christianity. So it was starting to make some sense, but it wasn't personal to me. It was just intellectual. But I was sitting one day just basically mulling over this whole atonement message and seeing how logically it could hang together, but still thinking, well, what does it what does it mean? Why, how can we be fundamentally sinful? I don't look at babies and go, you're sinful. I don't look at myself and go, I'm sinful. I do my best. I make mistakes, but I'm not sinful. And then the weirdest feeling started to grow. It's, it's difficult to explain, but just out of nowhere, there was this welling up of in, in, in my consciousness an awareness that, in fact, everything I've done is actually, and I'm not thinking specific acts, but my entire motivation for life, for what I do, is really about myself. It's really about, you know, if, even if I try to make people happy, I don't want to be unhappy. I always make sure that I'm, I'm not unhappy. And somehow there's a sense that I'm self-satisfied with what I'm doing, but it's, it's really nothing like... I should be. And I was starting to wrestle with this in a, at a mental level until something purely emotional, and to and my absolute surprise, something purely emotional arose, which was a, a wordless, devastating and profound awareness. It didn't even have words. A powerful awareness that I was fundamentally um, um, not even the right word. Fundamentally unacceptable in God's eyes that I was fundamentally wrong. It was a devastating kind of awareness, and it just brought me to my knees. I was sobbing. I was absolutely shattered by the sense that I was totally, totally unworthy. It just it shattered me. <laughs> it took me ages to actually just stop sobbing. And I, I just wept. I said, I'm so sorry. I, I hadn't even spoken to God by this stage. I was thinking about God. But it brought me to the point where I just, I said, I'm so sorry. I, said, I just realized I'm fundamentally wrong and I need you. I need whatever it is that you can bring, whatever grace you can bring it to my life. I need it. And then came this wonderful calm, absolute calm, and a sense of it's all right. Uh, and thinking about it afterwards, because I always want to put words to these things, it seemed to me that 
I, I can only say the Holy Spirit had brought me to a point where I had to realize my unworthiness before I could realize it at the same at the same time that I'm not worthless, God. I'm not worthless. But I need his grace to be acceptable of his life. Well, Julie, uh, you uh, as you've explained this and the the reality of uh, of your own sinfulness, and then your your need for for uh, for Jesus for a redeemer, and, and you said at the same time it helped you to make sense of the world's most intractable problems. I think so, and now on a more personal level, I was able to sort of join that experience with my intellectual analysis of of the teachings and say yes we are in a bad place we do suffer we have rebelled we are under god's wrath that's it the entire creation is under god's wrath but he has a plan (laughs) he really has a plan which he reveals in scriptures from genesis through to revelation and in revelation you read the final outcome when Christ returns and world, the world is perfected. And Revelations has echoes from the prophets. It, it has echoes from Genesis. Um, it has themes that have run throughout the Old Testament to show that finally when God deems it time, he will restore humanity and creation to himself and there won't be any suffering. And until then, we're under God's wrath, and there is suffering. Hmm. Well, Julie, I wanted to ask you, and I know our time is going very quickly, but you, at the same time, you were investigating the religions. You were looking. You began to look closely at Christianity, which made you look closely at the Bible, the Gospels, Jesus' life, and then the personal realization of, of how this all applied to you and what he was saying to all of us, but to you particularly in the Scriptures. And yet, at the same time, you were investigating on another level, there was the heart level, there was the, the, the mind, but then also there was science and about the development of our universe and conscious life. And uh, this, I know this is a whole nother, a whole nother tack, but uh, what, what did you want to look into there and how did it parallel what you were finding in your investigation of uh, Christianity? Yeah, I basically wanted to see if the materialists were correct that everything could have arisen randomly from inorganic chemicals and eventually become sentient life. That is basically my question. In other words, has the, the recent findings of modern science pointed away from a creator or not? And to my surprise, the more we know about the universe, the more it indicates at a scientific level that there's probably an intelligent creator behind the arising of our universe and um, human life. You're saying that increasingly this is the finding, the perspective of even non-believing scientists, researchers. Very much so. Even people who want to deny it. Um, If I could give you an example... There's a very strongly atheist astronomer, George Greenstein. And even he says about the fine-tuning of the universe, you know, the fact that there are so many things that have to be, so many um, constants that have to be finally, finally set within a very narrow range for our universe to bear uh, human life. 
Uh, even he says, and here I'm quoting from something I've written down, the more I read, the more I became convinced that such coincidence, such coincidences could hardly have happened by chance. So that's an atheist person saying there's an, too many coincidences for it to be random. It's statistically almost impossible for our universe to have arisen like this. But he says at the same time, and this is interesting to me, he says in the same quote um, in his book, uh, Symbiotic Universe, he says, but as this conviction grew, something else grew as well. It was intense revulsion, and at times it was almost physical in nature. We have an instinctive atheist rejection of the notion of a divine creator. We don't want to know it. And even when the facts are there, we continue to reject it. Greenstein honestly says it's, it could hardly have happened that time. You combine your, your research into science, your research into, into Christianity, and uh, I, I realize I'm probably skipping over some things, but you end your article with John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 44, where Jesus is saying, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Why did you end your, your article in this way, or what is significant to you about that particular scripture in terms of your investigation? What Jesus says here does tie into the Old Testament. I'm sure I read something about it. And the next day I would open randomly one of the other books I was reading and the answer would be there. It kept on happening. And, and I know people shrug and say, ah, it's just coincidence. But I really, there were so many instances where I did find, I felt guided. I really did. There were... Um, I, I'll just mention an, another small thing that was personal, and I felt that I was being guided. Um, when I was studying Sufism and I was trying to live according to the tenets of love and patience and so on. Sufism. And I felt Sufism, yes, a branch of Islam. But I, I, it's, it's quite a difficult thing to live up to in terms of uh, being kind and loving and tolerant and so on. And I went fight with a neighbor. And I stormed into the house and I just raised my arms above my head and I said to myself out loud, I can't do this. I can't perfect myself, you know. <laughs> I try, I'm try. i trying to be a better person and I can't do it. I give up. And I sat down and a voice arose in my head that was not my own voice but it, and it just said clearly, of course you can't. It was a voice that said, you're trying to do something that is not yours to do. And I felt so relieved. I felt as if someone had said, you're trying to lift yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> you're trying to achieve the impossible. You're trying to perfect yourself and you can't do it. And it was a clear voice in my head that gave me such calm. And I thought, I don't have to try to be perfect. There's another way. I didn't know what that way was. This was before my encounter with sin and so on. But I had such a sense that there was some spiritual level of something aware of my, of my quest. And I do think that what John said is correct, that God will draw you if you want to be drawn. And so at what point did you, if you will, make a crossover from, oh, as the scripture says, from death to life, but from unbelief to belief? particularly in, in Jesus himself? 
I can't look back and pinpoint, oh, it was that day when I stood at the sink kind of thing or that morning when I opened that book. But just gradually, I, I, I suppose because I kept questioning myself and challenging myself even when it had happened. I mean, it's a big decision to make. You don't commit yourself to something like this lightly. So even when I thought this must be true, it must be true, a huge part of me kept on saying, are you very sure? Are you very sure? <laughs> Couldn't this have happened? Couldn't they have lied? Couldn't they have distorted the scriptures? You better keep looking in case you're wrong, in case you're wrong. Uh, but it, eventually I did just say, no, this, this is the truth. This, for all, all of many, many, many reasons, there is only one truth, and this is the truth. And I was baptized at my cousin's church, and, and that was it. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, former college math instructor Julie Hanna. You can read more of her testimony in her book, A Skeptic's Investigation into Jesus, or in her recent Christianity Today piece, Faith Came by Investigating at ChristianityToday.com. She spoke to us from her home in rural South Africa. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People. Thanks for listening.